0: CHAPTER 36 OF JUGGERNAUT, A VEILED RECORD This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. JUGGERNAUT, A VEILED RECORD By George Carey Eggleston and Dolores Marborg CHAPTER 36 Well, dear fellow, I'm glad to be with you brain turns to him with the grave sad smile that is now the only smile his face knows he walks slowly there is none of the energy and spring in his step that belonged to brain the statesman the face is still handsome it will always be that no expression can entirely change his features but it is a somber face his figure stoops a little Mental burdens are apt to bow the shoulders far more quickly than physical ones. Brain has grayed at the temples. It will be but a little time before the brown of his hair will have disappeared. Everett has got off the train just now, at the tumble-down little station, and as he and Brain walk leisurely down the country road, he covertly notes every detail of his friend's appearance there is still a dignity in brain's figure and movement no stoop no length of time can deform that any more than it can change the attraction of his face these things were not the ornamentations but the substance of the man all thought of dishonor in this man was acquired and it was a hard thing to learn honesty and uprightness of mind were innate it is his natural self that has remained by him in the crisis with the woman things were different the two men stroll on through the mellow glow the setting sun lending its fiery touch to the hedgerows turning the gray of the road to a more cheerful yellow a bobwhite calls from the wood on the left a woodpecker is warily at work on an apple tree in the orchard on the right sweet evening odors evening sounds evening winds surround the men like a benediction brain stops once in the road and looks over a yellow field a field of grain half cut a man still works there among the sweet-smelling sheaves a comely woman has just passed through the bars beyond and is crossing to the man who works There is a leisurely vigor in his movements that only strong men know at resting time. He sees the woman and stands erect, awaiting her, his rugged positive form outlined against the flushing sky that seems to terminate the whole earth in the field behind him. He does not meet her. She comes to him. If there is anything save the rabbits in the grain to see, the man and woman do not know the man must be a poet for he does not kiss her lips the man who binds the sheaves instinctively knows that passion and the hour are incongruous he takes her face between his hands and looks into her eyes and as the sun with one last peep sinks below the hill into nothing he lends to the two the brightest ray left him and they stand in a rosy sea for a little minute these two and the day is done. Brain stands with shaded eyes. The strong hand, slightly browned, trembles a little. As they walk on, he breaks the stillness gently. I could be happy here. There is a wistfulness in his voice. Everett touches the hand at his side. There is the peculiar gentleness in the touch that some men have, The two go on, hand in hand. The greatness of friendship lies in its simplicity. Neither speaks again until they turn into a worn footpath at the right and follow it to a small white house beyond. Brain lives here. A little house set in a patch of orchard, a flower bed here near the door, an old-fashioned bed where Sweet William reigns supreme that shows the conscientious care of someone who loves something on the step helen's dog very little things yes magnificent in their commonplaceness these things that are the care and companions of a great mind a lonely man who has controlled by his intellect the thought and act of millions directly or indirectly Who would not be a flower, or a dog?" With old-time courtesy, Brain enters and stands in the narrow little doorway to welcome Everett. He makes no apology. He sees nothing to demand it, though the cane chairs are not the poems in upholstery that are in Everett's rooms, though the bench at the side serves in place of luxurious divans. There are no carpets on the floor but the shining whiteness of the boards is seductive. There is a desk in one corner. There is something familiar in its look. It has collar boxes for pigeonholes. It has an atmosphere of industry about it. Evidently, the lonely man is not an idle man. Brain says to the clean boy in the next room, "'We will have some supper now. I do not dine any more.' with a smile and a nod at Everett. Everett makes no remark. The scene is impressing him strangely. The odors of the orchard waft through the door. A cricket under the window keeps up a drowsy tune. The two men sit side by side on the doorstep while their supper is made ready for them. Neither says very much. "'Are you not lonely here, dear fellow?' Brain looks up and he ceases to stroke Helen's dog. He replies gently, ''Yes, I am often lonely.'' ''Do you have nothing to occupy your days?'' ''Oh, yes. The days are not bad.'' He nods in the direction of the desk, pats Helen's dog, glances at his flowers. ''And the nights?'' Brain smiles and does not reply. THERE ARE TEARS THAT CAUSE HEARTACHE, BUT THERE ARE SMILES THAT CAUSE HEARTBREAK. AFTER A TIME THEY GO INTO SUPPER. IT IS A FRUGAL ONE, SUGGESTING HOW ADEQUATE THE FOOD OF THE MIND MAY BE. THERE IS WINE FOR EVERETT, WHO KEEPS HIS FRIEND COMPANY, HOWEVER, IN DRINKING WATER. AFTER A TIME THEY SIT TOGETHER IN THE TWILIGHT. THERE HAS BEEN A LONG SILENCE BETWEEN THEM. Presently, Everett says, "'Do you want to hear?' Brain nods. "'She does not live in the house where I established her. She is independent of my care. She no longer comes to me for sympathy. She no longer needs me as a friend. She is rich, powerful, beautiful, cold, commanding. She has a salon.' The brilliant men of the country may be found there, a few of the women. She rules the statesman, the poet, the pagan, the minister, all but the Christian and the conventional. If her life is not irreproachable virtuous now, no one suggests the doubt, because whenever they decide to acknowledge the truth, they may no longer visit her. Conventional women know her. They never acknowledge her. THEY NEVER REPUDIATE HER, THEY NEVER MENTION HER, THEY ARE AFRAID OF HER. THEIR HUSBAND'S INTERESTS ARE TOO OFTEN IN HER HANDS, SOMETIMES THEIR OWN, OR THEIR LOVER'S. SHE RULES, SHE REIGNS, SHE LIFTS HER FINGER AND GREAT MEN OBEY, AND SHE LIFTS IT ONLY FOR THOSE WHO PAY. SHE HAS TWO SOURCES OF INCOME, HER WITS AND A LOVER she acknowledges the wits and not the lover consequently her satellites do the same how long this state of things will continue depends on the wits and the lover he ceases to speak he looks at brain his somber face is gray everett says do you know why i am telling you this BECAUSE I AM GOING TO DRAG YOU FROM THIS PLACE WHERE YOU HAVE BURIED YOUR GREATNESS AND YOUR TALENTS. I AM GOING TO SHOW YOU THAT THIS WOMAN YOU MOURN IS NOT WORTH IT, THAT..." BRAIN RAISES HIS HAND. DON'T SAY THAT. THERE IS FIRMNESS AND MEANING IN THE TONE. PERHAPS THIS WOMAN IS NOT WORTH IT, BUT HELEN IS. I HAVE NOT BURIED MY TALENTS. I AM NOT AN IDLE MAN. I am trying to accomplish something that will in some degree indemnify those I have wronged. I do not mourn for the woman alone, but for my sin. My sin was in making my Helen the woman you tell me of. She has no sins to answer for. I am responsible. Some day she will come back to me. He speaks dreamily, looking into the purple dusk. Some day she will come back, and I will take her in my arms and have my wife, my Helen, Helen of the old good days again. She shall not live so looking about the little room. All my wealth is being saved for her. She shall not live like this, but amid the surroundings that Helen loves, and with me. "'She will be so grateful for the rest and peace "'after the strife and hurry. "'We may both be old,' wistfully. "'I am old now, but it will happen. "'She will come back.' "'He stops and seems to continue "'the thread of his thought to himself. "'Everett says nothing. "'His face is turned the other way, "'though the dusk would hide its expression.' After a time, the two men say good night. End of chapter thirty six. Recording by Roger Moline.